0: Hey hey hey, welcome back to the Sustainable-ish podcast and to episode 118. It really is marvellous to have you with me. Now then, COP26. You can't fail to have heard about it, hopefully. My social media feeds are definitely full of it and even though these are very definitely skewed for eco-stuff It has been all over the mainstream news and there's been lots of great TV programming around it, but what is it? Hopefully I'm not alone in not really knowing, or maybe kind of having an idea but not really feeling like I could explain it very well to my kids or my nan if she was still with us. And why is there all this fuss this time around about it? And what, if anything, will actually come of it? so I was delighted to get the chance to put all these questions and more to someone who will be there in the flesh and on the ground. Laura Young, a.k.a. Less Waste Laura. Some of you might follow her on social media where she is just brilliant. Laura is a climate activist, environmental scientist, public speaker, and all-round awesome human being who will be in the actual blue zone, which is a big deal, and Laura explains what the blue zone is during the podcast. For the whole of COP26 with Tearfund, the international development charity that she works for. So sit back, relax, and listen in to this beginner's guide to COP26. Enjoy. Hi Laura, welcome to the podcast. Excited to be diving into this one with you. Oh,
1: I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really exciting.
0: Oh, it's a bit of a fangirl moment for me because I've been following you for ages on <laughs> social media, so it's always nice to kind of meet people in real, well, as real life as a, as a Zoom call is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel it's the same for me because I've got your book, I've uh, got it for Christmas um, as part of our, like, secret Santa at work. So it must be, I mean, clearly on brand, someone knew exactly what I wanted. So
0: yeah, it's great to meet you um, virtually. Brilliant, thank you. So can you introduce yourself, let us know who you are and what you do? Yeah, I mean, I do quite a few things. Yeah, (laughs) it
1: is with them all. I know. So my name is Laura. I am 25 and I live in Glasgow. My kind of academic background is in geography, environmental science. I did that at the University of Dundee. I then went to the University of Edinburgh. I did a master's in environmental protection and management. So like my academic stuff is all to do with sustainability and climate Mm. change and plastic. But for the last four years now, I've been trying to really live a sustainable life which led me to creating an online platform called less waste Laura, which is where I sort of like talk about this stuff and campaign and just like share all the knowledge that I hopefully have or just mm. like get ideas from people. But I also through that do a lot in the media. So I have like regular sort of radio things that are really cool to just like bring these conversations into the mainstream wavelengths. Mm. And I do a load of stuff kind of around like environmental education. And also, I guess, really relevant for what we're going to chat about today is I work for an NGO called Tier Fund. And as part of that, I'm their COP26 coordinator. So, meaning I'm getting to go to COP, I'm going to be doing lots of stuff at COP. And I know we're going to talk about that, but that's yeah. like a big chunk of my time at the moment as we sit in October, which is really exciting.
0: So, tell us a little bit about Tier Fund and
1: what they do. Mm, so, Tier Fund are a kind of international development organization. So, we work in 50 countries across the world but by we I mean we support our partners mm-hmm. so we have lots of different partners across the world and we in the UK what our teams are trying to do is number one fundraise to to get their money to be able to support all the initiatives that they're doing mm-hmm. that are to do with things like climate change so like sustainable farming and agriculture looking at waste and lots of improvement that way but also projects to do with like gender equality education water sanitation Mm. so one part is like raising money just to be able to support these kind of projects but also and this is the team that I sit in, we do a lot of campaigning and advocacy because we know that to create change globally for not just climate change but also like justice issues We need to be campaigning. We need like system change from everywhere. So we do Mm -hmm. a lot of campaigning here in the UK with our own government to really engage with some of the most important topics. Mm -hmm. And so we do a whole host of things. And with this big UN Climate Summit coming up, a lot of our focus has been on that, which is really exciting. And I've worked there for two years, but um, I've been in the specific role I'm in now in the advocacy team for just over a year. And it's all been working from home, which is totally... (laughs) (laughs)
0: so there's so many things I would love to kind of um chat to you about everything that you've just said but really I want this episode to be um I just said to you before we hit record almost like a beginner's guide to cop like I feel like there's lots of media talk about it and whether that's Mm -hmm. just my little social media bubble but I think it is leaking out you know I'm hearing schools talking about it and things like that But I think probably a lot of us are thinking, well, like, what does COP even mean? Like, what is it? Is it going to do anything meaningful? Um, What does it mean for me? All those kinds of things. So really kind of hoping to to dive into that. So like but first question, I guess, what is COP?
1: And, you know, I'm going to tell you a little secret because there's some days in my job. I still Google it just to make sure I know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know, you think I'm pretty sure I remember
1: exactly what this is. But I guess COP itself it, it's an acronym it stands for conference of the parties which gives you no more indication yeah. of what it is Brilliant. most people think the C must mean climate but it doesn't right yeah. conference of the parties but what that means is it's the conference of the parties of the united nations so when we say cop we just mean the bringing together of almost every country in the world all mm-hmm. the countries in the un and then the 26 stands for the 26th time they've met together so these COP conferences have been happening since before I was born. I'm allowed wow. to say that because the first one was in 1995. Oh, you'll see. And so that. I'm so young. I'm such a young baby. Um, and so this is the 26th time that they will have met together. And it was supposed to happen last year. So anyone with quick maths might be like, hold on a minute. That was not quite lining up. But because of everything that happened hmm. in 2020, it's been pushed forward. So it moves around every year so this year 2021 or I guess COP26 has been selected to be in Glasgow which is where I'm from it's my home city it's Mm. where I live it's really exciting so it's basically all the countries coming together lots of heads of state but also the kind of UN delegate teams coming together and what they do is for two whole weeks it's a really long conference for two weeks they discuss climate action and This one, COP26, is quite important because another term people might have heard of or people kind of speaking about is the Paris Agreement. Mm. So the Paris Agreement was at COP21 and it was in Paris, unsurprisingly. And that was where we had this real landmark moment where at this conference, this two week conference, world leaders came together to agree, agree on keeping the world from warming past two degrees, I'm sure we can jump into all this kind of terminology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was technically it was supposed to be a five year thing, but because of the COVID postponement, mm. we're now technically at six years. But the idea was that in five years' time, obviously it's now six, they would recommit and come back to to rediscuss what what they'd said at the Paris Agreement. So mm. COP26, it was really going to be important anyway, but because of the state of the planet we're in now, it's even more important. So that's like a real brief history. Mm. But it's really interesting because it is long. It's two weeks. It's all of the world, you know, coming together to discuss this. And it's really exciting. So it's, you know, we're currently sitting in October and technically it starts on the 31st of October. So it starts this month.
0: Oh, wow. So I feel like we're hearing an awful lot about COP26. And I don't remember hearing anything about COP25. Yeah. I hear a lot now, I think retrospectively, about COP21 and the Paris Agreement I don't remember hearing this or seeing this amount of sort of media engagement before it do you think that that's just a UK perspective and we're seeing that because it's in the UK this year?
1: I think that has a lot to do with it we are in the UK so although it's being hosted in Glasgow Mm. the UK government are the hosts and so it's a UK government thing so Alok Sharma who is you know an MP and was put into being this kind of UK COP26 leader Mm. you know I think we are hearing a lot about it because it's on home soil Mm. it's involving a lot of time from a lot of our government and a lot of resources and that's great but I think we are hearing a lot more about it also not just politically and from the government side but we've also got a lot of businesses who are now you know invested in it and you know saying well this is coming to our nation let's make sure we do something but I also think there's something in looking over the last five, six years, climate change has become mainstream in terms of a conversation. Mm -hmm. The science, although we've known about climate change for 30, 40, 50 years, the science, particularly in the last five years, has become a lot more well communicated, a lot more accessible. And we've got a lot more people even just working in this kind of sphere. Mm -hmm. So I think even just the conversation, but We've also had a lot of activism. We've had a lot of, you know, protests and marches and actions that have been taking place that mean people are more literate in climate change and can talk about it. Mm. And unfortunately, we're also seeing a lot more of the impacts. So it's also harder to kind of hide away from the conversation. So I think there's kind of a whole bunch of things that have kind of fallen together in the last five, six years that mean we talk about it. Because I was actually at university studying geography and environmental science when the Paris Agreement was happening. I don't really remember learning no. that much about it. You know, I just, it wasn't this thing. We knew it was important, but it wasn't quite as big mm. as COP26 coming to Glasgow, coming to the UK. And I think that shows that sometimes it's when it's on your doorstep, you pay mm. attention. But I also think it's these kind of other things that have happened that, that have led us to where we are just now.
0: So the Paris Agreement, can you briefly explain? <laughs> but also like, why was it so or why is it something that we talk about all the time? Why was it so historic almost, even though it was only five years, yeah. six years ago?
1: You know, this was this was actually one of my essay sort of
0: oh wow <laughs> exam questions.
1: you know, you know, what is the Paris Agreement? And again, yeah. you think, I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, the reason it was important is we've had lots of things happen in history. You know, because a lot of people will say that Paris was really the first time the world came together to kind of say, right, we're actually just going to commit. We're going to get on with it. We're going to do this. And this is what what's going to happen. It was the first real piece of action, piece of kind of like legally binding action that countries took. Now, of course, people might throw around things like what about the Kyoto Protocol? Don't ask me what that is. What about the first World Earth Day? What about all these other things? But part of me says, well, the reason we don't mention them is because they didn't do anything as grand as what the Paris Agreement was aiming to do. And so I guess a little bit context about what it is, is when we talk about climate change, environmental stuff, you know, the world changing, one of the easiest measures that we have is the global temperature. So when we talk about global warming and climate change, we talk about how much has the planet as a whole warmed and the measure of time that we use is since pre-industrial times Mm -hmm. because we know that the industrial revolution really ramped up a lot of human activity and particularly a lot of activity around fossil fuels Mm -hmm. which is a big driver of climate change Mm -hmm. so we take this how much has the planet warmed since pre-industrial times and we measure it so we can measure up until today so we know that since pre-industrial times today we have warmed just over 1.1 degrees Mm -hmm. since then you might be thinking oh it doesn't sound that bad I was gonna say do you think
0: do you think that's one of the issues that we've got is that I always say when I do talks and stuff and I talk about you know one degree one and a half degree I always say well you know I've got a cup of tea here I couldn't tell you if it was 90 or 91 degrees and so people go one degree yeah Yeah. don't worry about it like and I guess that's part of you know the the sort of comms almost isn't it It, trying to explain why that's significant
1: yeah and I think that's exactly it because there's plenty of places in the world, Glasgow included, that could do with I'd a little bit <laughs> That would be lovely. And I think part of it is that problem. And so I, I guess where the Paris Agreement came in is they said, this is where we're at now. Let's have a look at what more degrees of warming would look like. And so the scientists kind of swooped in and we knew that as the planet warms, not just for every degree, but for every point of degree, We are exponentially changing the way that the world works together. And so the scientists sort of said, we're currently at 1, 1.1, this kind of amount. If we go to 1.5, or even if we go towards 2, it's going to have catastrophic impacts on the planet. Because between every degree, you have changes in sea levels rising. You have mass amounts of water being lost from icebergs, from glaciers. Mm. We have massive impacts to droughts and floods and drying out regions, wildfires. And so I guess part of it is it's a bit of a comms fail because one degree doesn't sound like a lot. Mm. But then it's important for us to say, well, actually, let's look into that a bit more. So the Paris Agreement was countries coming together to say that we are going to stop warming going beyond two degrees. But where possible and really what we want to aim for is this
0: 1.5.
1: And I think with COP coming up, one of the big things is we're going we're at 1.1 and we're already seeing catastrophic impacts mm-hmm. in some places that's why 1.5 is really important over 2 degrees and i think that's where communicators like us you know people who who can explain this really need to talk about that difference mm. and talk about why even at 1.1 there's impacts mm. so 1.2 1.3 you know there's many points before we even get to 1.5 yeah. or 2 And that's the the really crucial bit. But I guess, I mean, a positive, even though it's a bit hard to know, I love that cup of tea example you gave, you know, I'm going to steal that. But, you know, actually, at least we can understand what 1.1 degrees is. Because before we really started mainstream talking about degrees of warming, we used to talk about the parts per million Mm. of carbon dioxide in the, I mean, who knows what a part per million is? Like that was even worse. And actually, that's, you know, earlier I kind of mentioned about, you know, the science. We've been able to communicate a lot better than, mm. than we have before, because we used to talk about percentages of carbon and parts mm. per million of molecules in the atmosphere. And that just switched anyone off, yeah. let alone people who really cared. Whereas at least now we're saying, well, everyone knows what a degree Celsius is. Yes. Like we we understand what that is. So at least we can, you know, gauge how we're doing it and we're doing it in a universal way and I think that's been the positive that's come out of it is at least we've got this different mm. change that we can talk about
0: yeah so where does another phrase that people will have heard or might have heard quite a lot bandied is the 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 IPCC reports so where do they fit in with COP do they fit in with COP like how does that all work and what are they?
1: the ipcc is the intergovernmental panel on climate change mouthful so ipcc and really the easiest way to describe it or them is is a group of scientists you know scientists who come together to release reports which talk about climate change Mm -hmm. what we're experiencing what we have been experiencing and what's been predicted for the future and so the IPCC report a couple of years ago is what really kind of solidified this 1.5 mm. you know, idea of like, this is what will happen if we reach 1.5, and this is what will happen if we reach two and beyond. Yeah. And we got another one out this year, which really was quite sobering reading. And people are kind of calling it the code red for humanity, mm. because we realized that there's emissions that we've emitted that are already setting us on a trajectory that we kind of can't get off because it's it's going to impact us into the future Mm. but this report which comes out every time it comes out it's really it's hard hitting and it reminds Mm. us of what we're doing and so this group of scientists are are really powerful in what they do and then what happens is when they release these reports it gives people like you and I and school teachers and politicians and whoever else, the ammunition that we need to say, well, here is the science. When we talk mm-hmm. about the science, like this is it. This is the stuff that we rely on. And it's it's a really important launch pad. And often they get released at quite mm-hmm. important times. So this one released just a few months before mm-hmm. we're caught. So it's at a time where you think this is raw and people have just been digesting it and it kind of helps really put in the urgency mm. to these kind of conversations
0: yeah so you talked about this uh, about cop 26 being five now six years on from cop 21 and the paris agreement and and it was agreed then that you know we would revisit in five years um these these goals and these aims so kind of what are the what are the aims what what are we hoping for out of cop 26 so
1: one of the things between the kind of paris agreement cop 21 and cop 26 is we were hoping that countries would go away and decide what they were going to do to limit global warming Mm. because it's not just down to one country it's down to everyone playing their part so what countries had to do was go away and assess what they could do a nationally determined contribution so what countries are saying is here's what we're going to do with energy transport agriculture whatever it might be and here's how we're going to help limit the emissions that we produce and this is going to have this impact and this is going to help contribute this way so over the last 5 years countries have been working on these submitting them and if anyone's bored enough you can even go onto the COP26 website and look through you know what countries have been oh, wow. submitting but it's quite chewy it's mm. really you know quite technical and these are things that have been worked on and you know programmed and and, and really been kind of dug into And what we hope is that when COP26 happens or kind of in the lead up to now, we're going to go, oh, fantastic. Look at the amazing contributions. Oh, when we do all of the maths, turns out we'll be fine. Mm. That's what we hope for. And that's what the kind of last few years have been really building up to.
0: So every country will have done one of these and submitted it. So, So we can have a look if we want to at the UK's one.
1: Yes. And so part of in the run-up to COP is you know hearing these kind of commitments and you know you might have heard things like the UK committing to x percentage of carbon reductions by x year or reaching Mm -hmm, mm net zero or that kind of thing and what we also have been seeing in the run-up to COP is not just the kind of carbon emission this is what we're going to reduce and this is how we're going to do it but we've also been seeing lots of finance being made available so right you know this uh, 10 years ago, $100 billion worth of climate finance was committed to, and so we're getting billions of pounds from different countries, particularly the kind of big emitters and big economies, mm, mm. saying, you know, we're also going to commit to this. You know, I think the US is one of the biggest contributors so far but then we also know that we've had years of nothing from them under a certain administration so it's kind of good to to be seeing that coming back and so in the lead up to COP we want contributions both carbon and financial Mm -hmm. one of the issues that we're kind of facing just now is as these contributions have been kind of flooding in there's been lots of people doing the maths working out what it really means and we know that when you line everything up these contributions only equal about 2.93 degrees of warming. So we are way over what we need to be at. So although we've seen some really great commitments, you know, great, we're going to reduce by X percentage by X year, depending on what the country is, what we're not seeing is enough for the time that we need. And I think particularly the next five, 10 years are really important Mm. to see the kind of massive, you know, change that we need. And Some of that's difficult because some of it is developing countries saying, Mm. well, you're asking us to reduce emissions before we've even had a chance to use fossil fuels to develop like you did. Mm, mm. And that's that's a justice issue. Or you've got countries like America who are saying, well, here's our really big commitment now. And you think, yes, but (laughs) we needed that five years ago. Mm. We didn't get it. So we need even more. And that feels hard, Mm. but we do need more than that. So I think there's kind of a couple of different things that that we look for up to COP. And actually, at the time of COP, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of decisions have been made and it's right. not about persuasion. It's more about saying, like, let's try and get some more. Let's try and agree. Mm-hmm. Let's try and work on that. But a lot of the hard work in terms of what's been decided has been done and, and is being done probably quite last minute by some places as well right now. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. One of the people certainly I sort of hear a lot about and, and. Sort of really look up to, I guess, is that that seemed to lead the way. I guess at, at Paris was Christiana Figueres, and I feel yeah. like from the very little I've sort of heard and seen her, she was kind of there, banging heads together. And yeah, you know, must be an incredibly skilled politician and people person to have got all these countries in a room to agree. Because just to get them to agree to have tea or coffee would be like yeah. nigh on impossible, do you yeah. know. And to get them to agree to this. Is there I mean, presumably there's someone in her role? Is there someone with her charisma, her people skills, her magic sparkles this this time around? I guess in the lead up to cop twenty six we've seen Alok Sharma
1: from the u k kind of doing the rounds of different countries mm. trying to bring people on board. And you know, we have seen some things come out of that. I don't know if he's quite got the sparkle mm. that Christiana has, but I think. This is what we are hoping for, that it's not just needing one person yeah, to be able yeah. to rally people together. And I think that's potentially what's different this time round. We had the Paris Agreement and Christiana did such a good job at really gathering people together and doing that. That this time round, we're hoping it doesn't have to take right. one person holding it all mm. together. That actually we've got multiple people across different delegations who are just as keen to do right. this as others. and. I think also there's a bit of a macho thing about countries also kind of wanting to lead on this. And, you know, hopefully a bit of competition has come out, especially between the bigger economies.
0: Because I don't feel like there's any ambition to lead on this from the UK, from the UK government.
1: I think Alok has been doing what his job entails, which is, you know, going around and doing it. But I think part of, I guess part of the problem within the UK is... Not being hypocritical Mm. when it comes to climate. I mean, one of the biggest things right now that's happening from a UK perspective is the Campbell Mm. oil field. And this is an oil field which has been proposed and has gone through a few rounds of kind of getting set up and it's kind of at the final stages of approval. And this oil field is set to be off the coast of Shetland, up in Scotland, but it's obviously a UK Mm. thing. So it's not necessarily a Scottish thing. And, you know, it's going to be millions of barrels of oil in the North Sea. You know, people have equated it to about 16 to 17 coal fire plants. You know, like this thing is huge and it's about to be approved weeks before COP26. And I think there's been a real uproar about, mm. sorry, sorry, are we not hosting this really yes. nice climate thing? And, you know, the UK government sort of said, oh, well, actually, in the, in the time that it's built and decommissioned we'll still be able to equate it into our, you know, carbon reductions and net zero and all the rest of it. But actually we're saying, well, no, because we know that no new fossil fuels is what's yeah. needed. Yet we have this thing that's happening kind of right under our noses, in, in theory, just down the road from COP in yeah. a global sense. And I think that's part of the problem with the UK hosting it is, is realising that, you know, we've got these big projects that are fossil dominated. Mm.
0: Well, there's the the coal mine in Cumbria as well that's that's had a lot of... Um,
1: exactly, and the coal mine in Cumbria is another one. And even, I guess, to kind of add on to that, due to COVID, but now continuing on, we have slashed the aid, bu- aid budget. Mm-hmm. So the UK used to give 0.7% of GDP and we're now going to give 0. 05 And that's at a time where climate-related aid is on the up. Mm. And part of the conversation around COP26 is about climate justice, and it's mm. about climate finance. And here's us deciding, at not just our most time of need in terms of COVID, but the world's, that we're actually just going to stop because we can't afford it. And I think it's really harmful for these things to be happening on UK soil just before COP26. And it just doesn't send this great message that that we really care. And I think yeah. that's that's really part of the problem.
0: Just as a quick aside, can you explain that term climate justice for people who kind of might have heard it and think they understand yeah. what it means, but aren't maybe 100% sure?
1: Yeah, of course. So climate justice, well, I guess when we think of climate change, you might think of icebergs melting, animals being moved along because mm. of wildfires or, you know, kind of droughts, cracking soil. You know, it. it we often think of a very world centric view mm. when we think about climate change, but What we also know is that people are at the front of climate change. So when a drought or a flood or a wildfire happens, there are people in these areas that are becoming climate refugees Mm -hmm. because their house has been flooded away. They are having to adapt to the way that they farm or live because of flooding or because Mm -hmm. of whatever. So people are at the front of the climate crisis. Um, And we see that through many things. Those are just kind of a few examples of how climate change impacts people. But the reason it suddenly becomes a justice issue is because of the injustice of climate change so here I sit in Glasgow in a semi-detached house I have a car I normally go on a few holidays a year I eat as much as I need and probably waste food at times I buy lots of clothes anyway I live a lifestyle that is contributing to climate change mm-hmm. even if I'm trying to be really sustainable my lifestyle the energy that my country uses that the kind of system that we have uses a lot of Of resources on the planet which contributes towards climate change I'm not impacted by climate change climate change doesn't impact me it's not in an area of the world that that I get impacted by but also if my house was to flood I've got insurance Mm. I've got ways to adapt if there was whatever impact happening around me you know suddenly water supplies dry, dry up guess what I've got enough disposable income to buy as much water as I need from wherever so it's the people who are impacted by climate change the most who contribute to it the least mm. so that's an injustice and so climate is a justice issue mm. because often it's not impacting the big economies that are the ones who are really you know polluting the world and i think that's that's where it becomes a justice issue mm. and that's yeah. often where the urgency is really turned up as well
0: yeah so on that note, I think we saw some or certainly I saw some press around probably a month or more ago saying that, you know, because of COVID, a lot of these poorer countries who are the ones being affected primarily by um, by the climate crisis aren't able to come and be represented. And that therefore, you know, their voices aren't going to be heard. And instead, it's going to be all these the polluting countries that, yeah. you know, it's not really in there interests really to kind of spend money on this stuff and that there's going to be this this really important disparity is that still the case it
1: is and there's actually a few kind of coalitions and organizations that have already come out and said that COP26 is going to be null and void Mm. from a global perspective there just won't be the same people there to be able to, to have that impact and kind of importantly we're not just speaking about Official UN delegates and heads of state, and the people who who are going to sit in that blue zone, that zone of Mm. the kind of real discussions, but also activists, civil society. You know, these kind of groups also aren't going to be able to come over due to COVID, due to visas, Mm. due to whatever else. You know, financial reasons. And so, I think this COP has kind of been dubbed as that. But I think there is a real there there was a real debate around well what do we do so COP was postponed once Mm. that postponed these important really Mm. important Mm. talks you know these have to happen because these are our best chance in a kind of official way to to get these decisions made and action taken so the first thing was what do we do because if we postpone it again that's another year where Mm. countries aren't being held accountable and action isn't being taken I think there was a real struggle about whether it goes online because as soon as something goes online first of all that removes a lot of people from access because you know a march isn't seen from a zoom room right. you know like, yeah. like there isn't a kind of focal point so where do charities NGOs yes. activists just regular people turn up there's also a problem with okay let's have a global meeting what time should we do it at yeah oh, half the world's gonna be asleep you know really logistical questions are like when do you host these mm. things you know and who's going to be up all night, you know, having to make these decisions at three in the morning mm. and how do we do that? And then also a really legitimate question of, and do countries have the same internet access, you know, yeah. access to these spaces online and how do we do that well? And so I think there's there was a lot of debate over really what to do. Mm. And I think there was never going to be a perfect solution and we're just going with the one we have and mm. hoping that we do that. And I guess it's part of, everyone's job who who's there no matter where you're from to be reminding them that there are people not there mm-hmm. and reminding them to to make sure to make the effort to find out what they would be saying and, and what they are saying and you know in the age of zoom and in the age of you know online platforms even though we might not be able to have activists from the global south particularly there we can still somehow get them in the room even mm-hmm. if it's just for part of it and be able to kind of carry their stories over And I think that's the kind of key thing that we need to be doing in the run up to this.
0: Yeah. And I think a couple of things to pick up from that. I know a lot of people or one of the discussion points is, you know, God, these all these diplomats flying in often on private jets to take part in this thing that's about reducing emissions. And and I don't know how you feel about that. But obviously, the private jet thing is a complete, you know, idiocy. But in terms of the connections that you get in person via zoom i my perception is that a lot of the politics a lot of the talking happens outside of the official meetings it's the meeting up for coffee making kind of coalitions and alliances that then you can that probably wouldn't be able to happen or wouldn't happen as easily remotely yeah but it's difficult isn't it because yeah it's going to be a big polluting event
1: it is I think part of it is that and you know maybe that's even the added pressure of saying the fact we've done this big conference means even more so we need to make sure we've set it and and really make it successful but you know I think although we have all learned that online remote working can work in many situations there is something about being in person that just gets things done Mm. and just really moves things forward and I mean it's a bit of a you don't really like you don't really know what it would have been like if it was all online or if it was more hybrid or whatever Mm. but the risk was it all goes online and it's a total flop because it's just not the same and it's not getting the same commitments and you know you don't have that same ability to really bind people together Mm. and and kind of knock heads and and have those informal conversations as well so I think it's just one of those things that you know it's and I guess part of it is great is the evil of the good and you know yeah. we, we we just know that this is so urgent we just need to keep going and cop 27 although i absolutely am not thinking about that yet it's going to be in africa in a right. country still tbc so that is a step you mm. know it's not always in a developed yeah. nation like glasgow or the uk and actually COP27 won't be and we'll give that opportunity to hopefully limit some of those factors that we've seen this year
0: yeah so you talked about this this kind of blue zone which is where all the diplomats and the politicians and all those kinds of things will be what is the role of NGOs like tier fund of like do you all just sort of go and hang around outside with a banner are you involved <laughs> in these discussions like I, I can't even kind of envisage it like how does it what does it all look like how do you get involved?
1: Yeah so there's two main zones when any cop happens so there's the blue zone and there's the green zone.
0: Okay.
1: The blue zone is for three types of person or three types of pass. so there's the kind of UN official delegate so you are in your team from your country and you are part of the official discussions and deliberations and all of that kind of stuff. There are then Observer passes, which is open to any kind of you know organization to apply for. So there was a big application process in the last year, and you kind of apply for as many or as little passes as you hope to get, and that's for people to be inside the blue zone observing, Mm -hmm. looking around, listening, being part of events, that sort of thing. And then there's media passes for media officials to be in there. Tier Fund, um, as a kind of NGO, we applied for some observer passes, and we got seven.
0: Oh, brilliant!
1: And so we have seven people going in on behalf of tier Fund, and we've split that up as we have one media person, we have a policy person to just be dissecting everything mm. that is possible. We've got our head of our advocacy team, and we have me, um, the Glaswegian voice, be <laughs> okay, there in the in the thick <laughs> yeah, of it, amazing. little old me. And then the other passes we are bringing global south activists with amazing. us, so we've yeah. kind of offered up roughly half of our passes. And that's our representation from Tier Fund. Mm. And we're going to be there listening, hopefully getting some media opportunities. And we're also going to be running one event within the Blue Zone. Oh, um, and it's going to be with our Nigerian activist called Promise. And it's going to be about energy and kind of energy justice. Mm. And so there's lots of things that can happen within the Blue Zone, but that's a very cordoned off area.
0: So, but there will be representatives from like Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace and other um, yeah. sort of organisations like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah so there will be different organisations who have applied for passes Mm. and you know it depends on how many you get but there will be lots of people kind of milling around and so it's a blue zone but there is the green zone and so that if you know Glasgow at all that's the south side of the river so the north side is where you've got the kind of big conference centre and that's the blue zone but on the south side you've got the Science centre and the kind of surrounding buildings. And that's the green zone open to the public. Tickets for all the events that are going on in there are out now and people can go and uh, get some tickets and go to events, you know, loads of different events on loads of different topics, all to do with kind of climate. And that's a real space for the general public to go and kind of take part and see some stalls as well. It's not Mm -hmm. just events, but kind of learn more. And so that's a real way that the public can get involved. But I know that lots of different coalitions and organisations are kind of doing... Different events throughout the city, especially because of COVID, mm. wanting to spread things out the city yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and be able to do that. So, you know, you've got coalitions like Stop Climate Chaos Scotland, the Climate Coalition, all these different organizations mm. who are doing different events throughout the city and in different venues. And of course, the middle weekend, so it's Saturday the 6th, there is this kind of big global day of action, big March. Right. And that's a way for any old person to get involved and come and you know hold a placard mm. and, and kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. scream and shout for for what they what they believe in and so I think there's lots of ways that anyone can get involved mm. but um those are the kind of rough outlines of, of the different areas
0: amazing and so if we're not um particularly local to Glasgow or you know it's not convenient to travel and that kind of thing can we get involved how can we get involved
1: the best thing that's happened in the last year is everyone has learned how to do online events which is great so there's been so many events that are being live streamed as well so you know if you didn't have access to come to Glasgow you can still take part and watch Mm. and and, and see what's going on so the best website to go to is one called Climate Fringe and so that's got all of the events that are happening kind of in and around COP and so I would go there to kind of find out the stuff that's happening on the 6th as well There is an opportunity to march where you live. So there's like decentralized marches happening across the UK, but also across the world. And if you go to COP26 Coalition, that's kind of like where you'll find out if there's a march near you or what your nearest one might be. And so there's a chance to do that. But also just everyday people trying to engage with it in their Mm. sphere of influence. If you're at school, college, university, asking about what you might be doing or how you might be able to do a wee special lesson or topic on that or or what might be happening in your workplace you know saying is there anything we can do during cop anything we can watch anything we can make a statement on all these Mm. kind of things and you know also engaging with your local issues yeah you know your msp if you're in scotland mp or whatever your local counselor any you know Mm. engaging with them and saying you know cops coming up is this something you're invested in are you interested in here's some issues i care about local to us or not local you know Mm. and and i think even just having the conversations there's a great climate scientist called Catherine hayhoe Mm. and she you know is amazing and powerful and you know really influential and her ted talk which has millions of views was all about the fact that one of the biggest things we can do for climate change is talk about it yeah. and especially as regular people and by regular I mean not world leaders mm. <laughs> you know you know, that is one of the most powerful things we can do is have a conversation and see where it leads us to because it might lead change in your workplace in yeah. your school in your local community and and that's what we can hope for especially as the kind of ordinary regular people yeah. and so I think in the lead up to COP it's just about that it's just about engaging listening talking about it yeah. and you know absorbing some of the media that's happening and and seeing how you can share that and just kind of encourage more people along.
0: And I think almost kind of using it as an excuse is the wrong word, but sometimes we find it difficult to broach this issue and to broach this conversation. And this is a a nice, easy way. Most people I think have heard that it's happening, you know, to be able to say to your employer or to be able to say to your school's head teacher or whatever, this is happening. The UK is hosting it. It's a big deal. feel like it's something we ought to you know, to use it as a springboard for discussion, for conversation, yeah. for for ideas, for um, you know, I, I think schools are having like little mini cops, and I know there's been mm. a youth cop going on, hasn't there, up, in, up yeah. in Glasgow and things. So, um, I think as exactly as you say, for for us mere mortals, for us ordinary people on the ground, to 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 utilize it as a as a way of um facilitating these conversations and these discussions is is yeah. hopefully going to be really powerful outcome actually yeah so in terms of outcomes you know I've heard lots of people say COP26 is last chance saloon is you know this is this is the decade of action this is if, if we achieve nothing here game over yeah but already I've been hearing the government almost managing expectations in terms of saying you know we aren't going to to meet the Paris Agreement, and and these things aren't going to happen at COP, and that kind of thing. So, I'm already feeling a massive sense of frustration that it feels like it's being set up for failure. And as you said, all these um, these NDCS, did you say they're they're looking yeah. at two point nine? Like, oh God, how- <laughs> is is there is there some hope in there?
1: When I get asked about hope, I think it is hard. You know, there is an energy that you have to put into yourself to go, I'm going to find the hope in this because otherwise we disengage yeah. and just let it all roll off the cliff. Mm. And the reason I have hope is because we know the solutions to climate change. Mm. So we're not sitting going, oh my goodness, here's this big problem. We have no idea what to do. We know what we need to do. Yeah. I also have hope because the right people Are around the world, whether that's industry leaders, politicians, whoever, Mm. to be leading on this and to be making that difference. So the hope is that we have the solutions. We've got enough money around the world to finance them. We just Mm. we just need to move the money to the right places, move the people to the right positions, and kind of just get on with it. Mm. And I think my hope is that, because we're not sitting thinking, for example, you know, COVID. One of the hopeless feelings we had last year was because we didn't have a vaccine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We didn't even have a way to test at one yeah. point whether people had it. And there was a lot of hopelessness because we said we didn't even know. We didn't even yeah, know what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know how it was transmitted. And now people are feeling hopeful. Although we're not out of the woods, we've got vaccines, mm. we've got testing, we've got a lot more knowledge about how it spreads and we are feeling more hopeful mm. about coming out of it. Climate change, we're not sitting going, what's the vaccine what's the test what's the solution we're like well we know we know the solutions and we know what we need to do and that's my hopefulness because it's just about people fixing their nose that's been out of joint (laughs) about having a finger pointed at them Mm. and often it's just about putting people over profit and over personal gain first and it's about changing the hearts and minds to really go down that route of these People that are going to be sitting in that room, and so I think I'm hopeful from that perspective, but not naively, mm. because we know that there is this this big challenge. And I think that we do also have this generation of people that are just coming up, going, "Come on, like mm. get it together." And I think that's why I am hopeful. But I do agree, it probably isn't going to be met this time. It's probably not going to be a success mm. in the sense of we know that we're missing pretty much every target that's been set. Mm. But we do have hope and that we have the solutions. And hopefully that is, you know, the key message that we get out of that is like, let's just do it. Let's just Mm. like crack on and and get it to work. And there's now enough people. I'm not saying like me to kind of put myself on a pedestal, but I mean, people my age Mm. who have seen these discussions happen every year of their life and are now like, okay, let me step in, let's (laughs) really tackle this because, you know, clearly it's not been long enough. And I think that's that's the really key thing.
0: Yeah, and I think the other important thing, message, and again, and maybe this is a comms thing to get across, is that you know, like if if COP twenty six isn't the success that we're being told it needs to be, that doesn't really mean it's game over. You know, it's it's never going to be game over because, and I think um, Greta's talked about this. You know, every point one of a degree is worth fighting for. So even if we go over one and a half, we keep fighting for one point six, and we keep fighting for one point seven, and you know, and, and, and each you spoke about this at the beginning, that each of these point one of the degrees is causing exponential change. Yeah. So it's really important that we just keep on. And I think clinging that that hope thing you talked about is is mm. so important. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. Um. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited for you that you're going <laughs> to kind of be there in the thick of it. And Thanks. um. so where can we come and because because will you be sort of, sharing some of this on your personal feeds as well
1: yeah so I'm under less waste Laura on kind of everything brilliant and I'm hopefully just going to be sharing as much as is humanly possible to really bring people in as well to be like this is what it looks like this is you know I'm in a real like privileged position and I want to use it responsibly to to just be able to share this experience with as much with as many people as possible so come along and and have a have a look and and see and if there's you know, if anyone has burning questions or things they would love for me to explore while I'm in there, mm. like just reach out, let me know, because I'd love to be able to hopefully fulfill everyone's, you know, dreams of COP and, and be able to do that.
0: Oh, thank you so much. So I will post all those links in the show notes and as well as all the um, COP links and things that you talked about. But yeah, you're going to have a busy, busy couple of weeks with not a huge amount of sleep, I would think. Definitely trying to not think about it. But yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. So welcome, thank you. You've been listening to Sustainable Ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small. Every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review, and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is, and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.